the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. The story for us today is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. We looked at it last weekend. We're going to continue in that theme again today. As Ezekiel has, has an amazing experience with God and God teaches him how to speak life into things that are dead. Ezekiel 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. So stop there for a moment. Here's Ezekiel, the prophet taken into a, by vision into the scene of a valley and it's filled up with bones. They're scattered all over the place, randomly placed in the valley and they've been scorched by the sun. Very, very dry bones. He's seeing this picture. Verse number three, he, God asked me, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones come back to life again? Dead bones, can they come back to life? And I said, Ezekiel says back to God, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he, God said to me, prophesy or speak my word to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. I spoke forth God's word as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, as I was speaking out God's word, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy or speak God's word to the breath or to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, I spoke forth God's word as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. To understand this passage of Scripture, we need a bit of history. Ezekiel was a prophet of God. To understand Ezekiel's prophetic ministry, we need to understand something about the history of the nation of Israel. Israel began as a monarchy under the king Saul. He was the very first king of Israel. Saul reigned for 40 years and then turned the kingdom over to David. David becomes the king of Israel for 40 years, extends the kingdom of Israel in significant ways. And then David, in his last days, passes on the responsibility of governing the kingdom to his son Solomon. So, and Solomon rules for 40 years. So for the first 120 years of the, of the nation of Israel as a united nation, there were three kings, 40, 40, 40 years apiece. And so they've had this amazing united kingdom for 40 years. But when Solomon dies, there's a problem in the land. 
Solomon has a son by the name of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was a tough guy. In fact, when he starts out his rule, he says, you think my dad was tough? I'm going to be tougher than my dad was. And he begins to create all kind of conflict and stress among the, the, the inhabitants of Israel. And so a man from Solomon's administration by the name of Jeroboam rises up and contends with Rehoboam for the kingdom. And so there's this battle that exists between Rehoboam and Jeroboam to rule Israel. And it results in the dividing of the kingdom. And so now, for the first time, after 120 years, the kingdom of Israel is no longer a united kingdom. It is a divided kingdom. There are ten tribes to the north called the northern Israel, or we might say the northern kingdom. It's often referred to as Israel itself. And then the southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so Rehoboam is governing in the south, Judah and Benjamin. The kingdom of Judah, as it's referred to in Scripture, and Jeroboam in the north, the northern tribe, or referred to simply as Israel. Jeroboam was, a, was a, an idolatrous man himself, and so he creates all these high places and worshiping other gods and serving other gods, and before long he's led Israel into lots of sin, and prophets are raised up over and over again to warn the northern kingdom, if you don't turn from your ways, you're going to end up in trouble. In fact, Assyria is going to come in and capture you, and they never listen to the prophets, and surely enough, Assyria comes in and captures the ten tribes of northern Israel, and they're dispersed by the Assyrians in various places. They are no longer a a, a nation. They're no longer a group of people. They now are a dispersed nation, and the northern tribes do not exist any longer. The southern kingdom continues for about 125 years longer, but they're falling into idolatry as well. And so God raises up prophets to speak to the southern kingdom, and they ignore the prophets also. And God says, if you don't change your ways, you're going to have the same kind of destiny as the northern kingdom did. Instead of, instead of it being Assyria, it's going to be Babylon. And surely enough, because they rebelled against God and stayed in idolatry, God allowed a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar to come down and capture the southern kingdom, these two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The first invasion of Nebuchadnezzar, he takes off about 10,000 people, brings them into Babylon. And in that group of 10,000 was a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. So he goes to live in Babylon. About 11 years later, Nebuchadnezzar comes back into the southern kingdom again, goes into Jerusalem, destroys the entire city, destroys the temple, and there is no Israel any longer. He disperses, again, all the inhabitants. And so by the time that Ezekiel is living in Babylon, there is no more Israel. It does not exist any longer. All 12 tribes have been scattered around the nations. They do not exist as a people any longer. And so God takes Ezekiel into a vision and shows him a valley full of dry bones, and those dry bones represented the nation of Israel that was dead. It was not alive any longer. It had died. And God speaks to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel says, God, only you know. In the context of what Ezekiel was experiencing, that was the the historical context, there's a message for you and me. And the message for you and me today is this, the dead things in your life God is able to bring back to life again. And today I want to share with you three more lessons in this journey of of Ezekiel that will apply to our lives in this process. How do we see things that are dead be resurrected? What are we to do? What is our responsibility in bringing things that are dead back to life again? Here are the three things I want you to remember today that will help you as a part of this journey. Number one, to experience resurrection power, you have to engage your words in the process. 
If you're going to see resurrection power in your dead situations, there's something you've got to do. Your words are a part of this. The power of life and death are in your tongue. And just like Ezekiel experienced this as well, because God shows him this valley of dry bones and God asks him a question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responded, responded to God, only you know. And then God begins to instruct Ezekiel in what he was to do. Notice verse 4 again of Ezekiel chapter 37. Then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Notice two statements there, prophesy and say. Would you declare those two with me? Prophesy and say. God said, I want you to prophesy to some dead bones. To prophesy means this. It is to declare and proclaim God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all it means. To prophesy is to speak forth God's word, to call forth the the promises of God's word under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. And to say means to articulate or to vocalize. In other words, God was saying to Ezekiel, I want you to change your language. I want you to stop thinking death and talking death. I want you to change your language and begin to speak the language of life. I want you to speak life into these bones. Now think about how ridiculous this was. Here's Ezekiel speaking words, prophesying God's word over a bunch of dry, dead bones, speaking over that which had no hope of ever coming back to life again from a human perspective. But he was told by God that he was to speak forth his word over that which was dead, that which seemed to have no hope for the future. And there's an important principle in this. The principle is very simple. The principle is the power of resurrection belongs to God, but the process of resurrection includes you. Nothing happened until Ezekiel began to prophesy and speak God's word. So there is a miracle power with God, but there's a miracle process with you. And you have to engage the process with God because God always works together with people. God is waiting for you to speak his word. And when you speak his word, he begins his work. This is why God reminded us of the power of our words. There's power, the power of life and death in your tongue. So God wants to engage you in the process so his power can be released in your life. The second thing I want you to learn today from this passage is that miracles often unfold gradually, but they require and always require persistence. We don't like that part, do we? Ezekiel had to grasp this. He had to, he had to persevere in this process. Notice verses 7 through 10 of Ezekiel 37 again. Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I spoke forth God's word to these bones. And as I was, as I was prophesying, a process, he was engaged in the journey. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Bone to bone, I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. What I want you to note here is that this miracle did not happen in one single event. There were stages in the miracle. It happened stage by stage. And I think this is valuable for us to remember because when we're looking for a miracle breakthrough in some area of our life, we want it all to happen at once. But God usually works on a process of time as we cooperate with him. Here's Ezekiel, he's prophesying. So he starts prophesying to these dry bones. And as he's beginning to speak, something starts to happen. The bones start rattling around and they start joining up with one another. That's a miracle. Would you agree? 
dry bones are rattling around and they're joining up, but they're still not alive. They're just bones rattling around. And so here's Ezekiel. He continues to prophesy. And as he continues to prophesy, then suddenly the bones that have now been joined together, he notices that tendons are starting to appear on them and flesh is starting to appear and he appear there and he continues to prophesy and then there's, there's skin that starts to cover them. And so now he's progressively seen them go from dry bones to bones that are connected to bones that have tendons to bones that have flesh to bones now that have skin covering the flesh, but they're still not alive. And so he continues to prophesy to the wind and the wind comes and the wind breathes on them. God sends his breath to them and they come alive. But it didn't all happen in one fell swoop. It happens in stages, in processes, and that's so important for your life. And here's the problem. A lot of people stop. They quit too quickly. They give up. I'll give you another story in Scripture about this important principle of perseverance. The stories of Elisha the prophet, another prophet of God, and we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 13. Let me give you the story. I'll read a portion of it, explain it to you, and then we'll complete the story. I think it'll all make sense to you. When Elisha was in his last illness, this is 2 Kings 13, verse 14. King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows, and the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow, and Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open the eastern window, and so he opened it. Then he said, shoot, so he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory against Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Let me stop there, and we'll come back to verse 18 in just a moment. What's going on here? There's a king in Israel at this particular time by the name of Jehoash, and He's facing an enemy called the Arameans, the Syrians. And he's in really big trouble because the Arameans are threatening to destroy him and destroy his nation. And so he's very concerned about it. He understands that Elisha, the prophet, is about to die. He's on his last leg, physically speaking. He's not going to live very much longer. And so this king says, I need to go and see Elisha because I need his blessing over me because I need to defeat that enemy. I need God's help to, to defeat the enemy. And so I'm going for the blessing of Elisha. And so he shows up at Elisha's house. Elisha's very sick. And Elisha gives him a very strange instruction. He says, what I want you to do is let's take this bow and arrow here, and we're going we're gonna to load the bow with this arrow, and let's go over here to the eastern window, open that window, and, and we're going to pull this back. I'm going to put my hands, Elisha says, over your hands, king, and we're going to pull this bow and arrow back together and shoot that arrow out the eastern window, and when we shoot it, it will be the arrow of the Lord proclaiming that you are going to have victory. You're going to overcome this enemy. That was good news for the king, that he was going to defeat this Aramean king in this next battle they were facing. But that's not the end of the story. Let's go back to chapter, the same chapter, verse number 18. Then he said, as Elisha said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. How many times? Three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten a ram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. A very important part of the story. So now after they've shot the arrow out, and there's this promise that he's going to have a victory over the Arameans, then Elijah says, I want you to do one more thing, king. You see that, you see that, that bundle of arrows over there? I want you to go pick up those arrows, and I want you to strike them against the ground. That's all he told him. Didn't give it, did not give him any more instructions. And so the king goes over and grabs the bunch of arrows, and he strikes them on the ground. How many times? 
boom, 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 three times. And the Bible says that Elisha was angry with him. Because, why? Because the king did not have the perseverance, did not have the passion to pursue a complete victory. He was willing to settle for a partial victory. Elisha said, you should have struck the arrows five or six times because that would have promised you a complete victory. But now because you've only struck the arrows three times, you'll only win three times because you don't have the persistence and the passion necessary to press through to get a complete victory. Dear ones, let me tell you something. God's plan for your life is never for a partial victory. It is always for a full victory, but you've got to persevere to get to that point. It's not just going to happen to you. You've got to dig in and say, I'm in this thing for the long haul. I'm going to get my arrows. I'm going to beat them on the ground until the ultimate victory is won. I'm going to pray through to my breakthrough. I'm going to proclaim and and prophesy God's word over my life, over my dry bones until they come back to life again. I will not give up on the promises of God. The last point I want to share with you today, a vital point as we're wrapping this up today is this. You need to remember that God specializes in turning dead things into living things. In John chapter 11, Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary and Martha have a brother by the name of Lazarus, and Lazarus, by this point in time, in the story of John chapter 11, Lazarus has died of an illness. He's been buried in a tomb for four days. He's already decaying, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and of course, Mary and Martha, the sisters, were quite concerned and upset and grieving and a little bit upset with Jesus that he'd not come earlier, and so they've got all this drama going on in the situation. Notice what happens in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus shows up there at the tomb. And he said to the sisters there, to one of the sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. The phrase I want you to grasp there is the statement that Jesus said, I am, I am what? The resurrection and the life. That's who I am. Are you getting that? You got to know me because when you know me, you know who I am. I do resurrection because I am resurrection. I do life because I am life. Okay. So it's not, I just do these things, and when I have to, no, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Let's continue the story now in the next section, verses 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called out, or called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I will submit this to you this afternoon. Lazarus had no option but to come out. Lazarus had no option but to come out because the resurrection and the life, the I am, wherever I am, there is resurrection, and wherever wherever I am, there is life. That means this, when Jesus shows up in your world, when Jesus shows up in your life, the I am, who is I am the resurrection, and I am the life, the I am is in you. The I am is living, and so there can't be anything but resurrection power and life that flows into your being. Notice this next story, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 7, I want you to see again, that's where Jesus shows up, what happens? Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. He's talking to a dead man. Are you hearing me here? He's talking to a dead young man. But of course, who's talking to him? The one who is the I am, the resurrection and the light. 
He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Again, you see that Jesus shows up on the scene, and he speaks to a dead young man, and he comes back to life again. Why? Because where Jesus is, there is resurrection. Where Jesus is, there is life. We see this in his own example, that when they nailed him to the cross and he died on the cross and he breathed his last breath on the cross, he was dead. He wasn't just sleeping. They didn't lay him in the tomb and he woke up on the third day. No, he was dead. He gave up his spirit. He was dead and placed in that tomb. Let's go to Luke chapter 24 here. Notice what happens. Verse number one, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is Jesus' tomb there. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why, notice this, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Here, is these, here, here are these two women coming to the tomb of Jesus. The last time they saw him, he was dead. They expected to see death. They brought spices with them to anoint his dead body. But when they got there, there was no dead body there. Why? Because they had buried the one who was the resurrection and the life. And the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Because there's no way that death can hold him. He is the living redeemer. He is the resurrection and the life. And so they learned that lesson. They learned the power of life in the face of death. And that's what I want you to get today. That whatever is dead in your life, that's not the end of the story. Now, I tell you, Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, those who are in the faith, flesh and blood are not able to enter God's kingdom realm, and neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed or changed. It will happen in an instant. In the twinkling of an eye, for when the last trumpet, that's when Christ comes back again, when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. He's talking about the resurrection of dead bodies, not dead in the sense of not being with Christ. He's talking about the resurrection of dead bodies. The dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible. We will be transformed, for we will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immortality. And when that which is mortal puts on immortality and what now decays is exchanged for what will never decay, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. So death, tell me where is your victory? Tell me death, where is your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Isn't that a beautiful passage? He's saying this. He's saying when you, for all of us who are living when Christ comes back again, we'll be transformed in the the twinkling of an eye that we'll have this moment that we'll be caught up with the Lord in the air and our mortal bodies will put on immortality. And those who've died in Christ and and have been buried, we're already with Christ in the presence of God, but there'll be a reuniting with a new body. When you get to heaven and when all this is completed by Christ coming again, all the consummation of the kingdom of God happens because there will come an end to this world. You know that, don't you? This world's not going to last forever. 
There will come an end to this world when Christ comes back again, and we will have that moment when there's this consummation of the kingdom. We'll be given a, a brand new body that matches our new spirit. Amen? Because we've been born again in the spirit and a new body that goes along with it together to live with God for all eternity, to enjoy the bliss of heaven and glory with the presence of our King. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Hey, Pastor Dale O'Shields here. Just want to take a moment and invite you to our upcoming United Pastors Network conference. It happens May the 20th through the 22nd in Gaithersburg, Maryland. We would love to have you. We've got some great speakers coming in. Charles Neiman from El Paso, Texas. We've got Joe Champion from Austin, Texas. We have Herbert Cooper from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We've got Lane Srantz from Birmingham, Alabama. Pastor Robert Berger from Lima, Peru. It's going to be a fantastic time. It's not just the speakers. It really is the relationships that are built. It's always a wonderful, wonderful time. If you'd like more information, go to our website at unitedpastorsnetwork.com, all one word, unitedpastorsnetwork.com. All the registration information is there for you. We look forward to seeing you at our conference. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.